0: the book of Acts, Acts uh, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, we're going to continue our series about the Holy Spirit, talk about fresh air, so uh, we're starting Acts in chapter 2 and verse 1, probably one of the most familiar scriptures pertaining to the Holy Spirit, probably one of the most familiar scriptures for those of us who have been in a charismatic or Pentecostal church, Acts 2. And so we're going to read there, starting in verse 1. Acts 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. How many know that's what we're doing today? We're all in one accord? Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. Okay. Because that's your decision whether you're in accord or not, My, not mine. So uh, we're all in one accord and we're all in one place? Amen. We're at 4224 Mel Smith Road, New Albany, Indiana, Church on the Rock. We are here in one place. And so these early disciples were in one place. They were in an upper room uh, when this happened in the Middle East. And they were locked away in an upper room, 120 of them. So there's 120 disciples that were waiting for the Holy Spirit. It said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's jump down to uh, same chapter, Acts chapter 2. But let's jump down to verse 38. So, the quick version of this is that after the Holy Spirit was poured out, the early disciples uh, unlocked the door, went out of the room, and started speaking in tongues, but it wasn't necessarily a tongue that is unknown, it was actually tongues that were known. And they started speaking in tongues, and they were actually speaking in other people's languages, because at that time... In Jerusalem there was people from all over the known world every different kind of background you could imagine and so they were speaking in the people's tongues that were from different parts of the world and what they were speaking to them was about the good news of Jesus and so they thought they were just praying in tongues and speaking something they didn't know but actually the hearers heard it in their own language in their own tongues and they were like, how in the world did these 120 people know all these languages? They're not really educated people. They don't know this. And then Peter got up and preached on what was happening. And he said in the book of Joel that it was prophesied. Now, the book of Joel is in the Old Testament. That it will be prophesied that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Now, I know you're listening, but you need to respond and listen at the same time. Because it kind of implies that when you're talking about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. That there's going to be some response together. Okay. So, um, they were all in this upper room. They came out. Peter preached, and he said, in the book of Joel, this was prophesied, guys. And most of the people knew about the book of Joel because they were good Jewish people. They studied the Old Testament. And he said, this is that that was prophesied, that his spirit would be poured out upon all flesh And that's what these 120 people are doing. They're not drunk with wine. They're not crazy. They're just filled with the Holy Spirit, which was prophesied from your own Bible that you read because the the only Bible they had at that time was just the Old Testament. And he said, it's in your own book. It's in the book of Joel. And then he goes on, and this is what he says at the end of his uh, sermon he preached. Peter preached this sermon. It says in Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a gift. In verse 39, and notice what it says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So what he's saying here is it's not just for you guys. It's for you, but it's for your children. It's for your children's children. It's for every generation after this. And he says it's for everybody that God will call, even in the future. Even in 2017, in New Albany, Indiana, at Church on the Rock, this verse still applies. This is not a one-time event that happened. He says, no, this gift of the Holy Spirit is for you, but it's for all that God will call in the future too. That's what it says. Now, some people don't agree with that, but that's what the Bible says. Some people said this was a one-time event. It only happened with the apostles. Then after they died off, it will never happen again. But that's not true. Because he said it's for not just you. It's for your children, your children's children, and all who are far off. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is The Power of Pentecost. The Power of Pentecost. Can I get amen as we get going here? The power of Pentecost. Now we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Once again, we're talking about the Holy Spirit today. Now, uh, we mentioned this the past couple weeks, but I want to say a few things um, about this kind of introduction to this message. The reason we talk about this is, number one, the reason we share messages and, and sermon series about this is because the Holy Spirit is so important to your life, but a lot of times a lot of people don't talk about it. So you wouldn't know that. That's why we have services and we talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit. My job is to tell you how amazing the Holy Spirit is, how good he is, how much he wants to be your best friend, how much he wants to be your helper, how much he wants to do in your life. But if we never talk about it, you will never know that. And you will never have faith for it if we never mention him. And a lot of churches don't mention him because they're scared of him. They don't really understand why the Holy Spirit came. Who is He? Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just a force. He's not just a feeling. He's not just falling out in a service. He's not just tongues. He's a person. And He is God. Just as the Father is God, just as the Son is God, the Spirit is God. They are three, but yet three in one. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is probably the part of the Trinity that's least talked about, but actually the most important to your life and my life, because the time and age we live is the age of the Holy Spirit. The Father's in heaven, the Son is in heaven, but the Spirit of God is on the earth. So that's why the enemy will try to cloud and hide our view of how important the Holy Spirit is. Or like we mentioned in the past few weeks, or he'll make him seem so weird... And so uh, strange that you don't want to have anything to do with him or a church that believes in him. Come on now, somebody. And so that's another reason we're talking about this. Because we want to clear up fear and misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Because if you're afraid of him, you can't receive of him. If you're afraid of him, you can't really take advantage of that friendship that you should have with the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of misconceptions about him. Because there's been a lot of weird experiences happen in church. And a lot of people in the church and even out of the church think the Holy Spirit's weird because of people. Not because of him. Because people have been strange. People have been weird. People have done stuff in the name of the Holy Spirit made me do it. The Holy Spirit came on me and I couldn't help it. The Holy Spirit made me interrupt the service. The Holy Spirit made me say something weird to you. The Holy Spirit made me prophesy, but it was just bad pizza the night before. Now, the thing is, a lot of you know better because you've been in a church like this. We've seen the real. So when the fake shows up, we're like, all right, ushers, get them out of here, please. Somebody. Brother Les, where's your dart gun when we need it? We need you to just take care of this and <laughs> quietly escort them out of the service. Because a lot of you in here, let's be honest, you know better. You've seen the real. So when somebody tries to act goofy, you're just like, all right, get out of here. We love you, but don't let the door hit you on the way out. But a lot of times those people will promise you, the Holy Ghost made me do it. And they turn people off from the things of God. If what you're doing in service turns people off from God, it's not from God. If your worship dis- disrupts the service, it's not from God. If the prophecy you think you, you gave doesn't help people, and makes them have question marks in their mind and they feel uncomfortable, it's not from God. If it's from the Holy Spirit, it's going to draw you to Him, not away from Him. <laughs> All right, we need to get going here. This is just, I'm right here on my, <laughs> my sermon. But we want to talk about this because we need to clear up fear and misconceptions in the church and really out of the church because a lot of people that don't even go to church know about the Holy Spirit because they've seen TV, they've seen movies. And trust me, they're never in the good light when they're on TV and on movies. They get the weirdest person they can find. So we want to clear up fear and misconceptions because in reality, the Holy Spirit, he don't want to hurt you. He wants to help you. He's your helper. He's the most important person really in your life. He should be. And so uh, we're going to talk about this today, the power of Pentecost, the power of Pentecost. Now, let's look at Acts 2. In verse 1, Acts 2 and verse 1, it said, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. Notice that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. Now, I'm going to do some teaching for a second, if that's okay, just to try to let you understand some of the meaning of Pentecost, some of the meaning behind some of these words we use And people don't know what they really actually mean. Let me start with two different things. Now, churches like ours, people would say that we're charismatic. It's true. Or they would say we're Pentecostal. Now, they use those two words. And once again, a lot of people, because they've seen strange stuff, those two words can throw people off. What kind of church are you? If you say charismatic Pentecostal, some people just run. They haven't even (laughs) been here. They don't even know what we're like, but if you just say that, they're expecting something to be crazy and wild. Now, we're going to respond. I mean, we're not going to sit there like it's a boring service like some other churches do, but I mean, nobody's hanging from the chandeliers. We don't have any really. So, yeah, so nobody can hang on them. But you hear these words, charismatic, Pentecostal, charismatic, Pentecostal. Now, I would... And we are Pentecostal, but I would say, I've seen some real Pentecostals, and we aren't Pentecostal. Can I get amen in the church? No, we ain't Pentecostals. I mean, I saw y'all's worship today. You guys were trying, but you all ain't Pentecostal Pentecostal. Now, you're trying. You're spirit-filled people. You're charismatic people, but you're not real Pentecostals. Pentecostals. <laughs> Trust me, I, will, I can take you to some churches in this community where the real Pentecostals are at. So don't, let's not act like we're doing something around here, like we're a Pentecostal church. No, you playing with it. You are playing with it. We would have already taken a hundred laps by now if we were really Pentecostal. Come on now, somebody. I wouldn't even be able to talk. You would have done shouted me down before at the beginning of the message. Just trust me on that. Before you think that you're just stepping out into the spirit-filled life and that you're really expressive and Pentecostal, no, you're not. You're not. Trust me. Okay, so these two words, where do they come from? Let's just clear this up. So charismatic comes from the word charisma. And really the, the definition of that in the Greek, if you read your Bible, when it uses a lot of times the word gift or grace, it is that word in the Greek. And when it talks about, let's just say the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, it uses that same word. So really, this word charismatic or charisma, all it means is a grace or a gift. And when somebody's charismatic, it means they believe in the grace or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Was that weird? No. Okay. That's the definition of it. A lot of people are afraid of it, charismatic, charismania, oh my gosh, scary. (laughs) All it means is you believe in the grace and the gifts of the Holy Spirit like every believer should. (laughs) So that's the first definition. So a lot of times if you see the word grace or gift, the real word in the Greek is that charisma or charisma. So secondly, Pentecostal, you ready for this? Now, people say that they're Pentecostal, and it's become a denomination, or many denominations, and it's actually a day or a feast in the Bible. It's not something strange, it's not something weird, but they say that they're Pentecostal because they believe in this experience of being Spirit-filled. But in reality, the real word Pentecost, it means 50 Strange, isn't it? Spooky. 50. It means 50, guys, Pentecost. It didn't say pentagram. It said Pentecost. <laughs> Pentecost. It means 50. And so uh, when people say they're Pentecostal, basically what they're saying is they believe in the same experience that these people had on the day of Pentecost. So they're Pentecostal. Now, people have made it into something more than that in denominations, but it means that they believe in that experience, the spirit-filled life. They're Pentecostal. And the real definition, once again, it means 50. Now, I'm going to explain what that means here in a second. So, uh, we want to share a couple things about Pentecost because we're talking about the power of Pentecost. What does it mean? What is it for? And uh, probably, hopefully, bring some clarity today to you. So, In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there was seven feasts in Israel. Everybody say seven. Seven. Now we know seven is the number of completion. Seven feasts in Israel. And Man, I feel like John Hagee today. I need a board up here with uh, four horsemen, a dead rat, and uh, a Bible. You guys don't like John Hagee jokes around here? I love them, man. I respect them. I'm just saying, I need a big board that's painted by somebody saying, okay, this is what this feast means pertaining to Revelation. We're all going to hell, giving praise and glory. (laughs) That was just a short version of his message. No, I respect him. I love John Hagee, a smart man. So there's seven feasts in Israel, seven feasts in the Old Testament. Now, these feasts, uh, the simplest version of this, they were parties. God told his people I want you to have a party At least seven times a year That's what he said I'm not making this up God said I want you to have a party at least seven times a year And remember how good I've been to you And remember where I brought you out of And remember what I've done for you And so every time you have one of these feasts You will dance You will party Of course if it's a feast You go eat some good food And you're going to have a good time. And what did they do? In all these seven different feasts, they celebrated the goodness of God. And God said, this is not optional. I command you seven times a year. They're in different parts of the year. If you look at the calendar, seven different times of the year, you will celebrate me and have a party. Isn't that good? God's into having parties. He he scheduled seven on your calendar to have a party. Seven different ones. And some of these lasted not just a day. Some can last weeks. Parties. All in. All right. I guess all you guys are going to have to quit your jobs here soon if we're going to party like that. So there were seven different feasts, seven different times a year. And all these different times they would feast, they would eat, they would drink, they would be married, they would dance, they would have a good time. And all were significant and all were based off of different events that have happened in the history of Israel. So there's different ones that are talked about in the Bible. Now I want to talk about two of them. And You follow me so far. We're going to talk about Passover and Pentecost. Passover and Pentecost. Everybody say, everybody say Passover. Passover. Pentecost. Pentecost. So there's, there's a couple that are kind of more significant than the rest. They're all important. But there's a couple that are more significant because... Uh, people know about them more in their kind of bigger celebrations. So Passover and Pentecost are two of the main ones. Passover and Pentecost. Now, you with me today? Before we talk about what Passover means, let me share this. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. You realize everything in the Old Testament is connected to something in the New Testament. And you need to read your Bible that way. That's when your Bible starts getting exciting because you realize these are not just random stories not connected. Actually, they're all connected, and they're actually one big story about Jesus. All 66 books are all pointing to one person, and they're all telling the same story just in different ways. And it's beautiful when you see it that way. And now you don't get bored when you read your Bible because you realize even a scab in Leviticus means something in light of redemption. Even the sad verses in Lamentations mean something in light of redemption. You got to read it that way. And then your Bible will come alive. Because you realize, let's just take a book of Lamentations, for example. There's, there's not a lot you can receive out of that other than sackcloths and ashes and just let me get some more tissues and watch the Hallmark Channel with some haagen I mean, you're just like, it's pretty much going to do the same thing to you. You're going to be a mess. You're going to be crying. Let's... Read the book of Lamentations, which means crying. But see, even in the book of Lamentations, follow me here, even in the book of Lamentations is the verse, your mercies are new every morning. That's a refrigerator scripture. That's in Lamentations. So you could read through the whole book and not see it, but look, there's, there's hope in there. there. There's a bigger story being told in all the books Of the Bible Now you didn't know you were going to Portland Bible College this morning But God bless you for going So every book in the Bible Every story is pointing to something bigger Than just that So Jesus said I didn't come to Abolish it I came to fulfill it There is over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament Talking about Jesus He didn't come to abolish those things He came to fulfill them Every feast that is celebrated in the Jewish community still today are pointing to Jesus. And he is the fulfillment of even those feasts in Israel. And you know what? They still celebrate those today. Jewish people still celebrate all these feasts today. In this country and in all around the world. So Passover and Pentecost. In Romans 15 and verse 4 it says that the Old Testament is written for our learning. You can learn something from it if you want to. It's not boring. It's not dull. If you read it, notice, in light of the bigger story and the bigger picture, which is Jesus. It's all trying to say something to you. It all fits together. It all ties together. But the point is this. Most people will not be willing to study the Bible long enough to make it all fit together. Most people won't give enough effort to make this story all fit together and make sense because they're too lazy when it comes to their Bible. They just want to read it for face value and just pick out one refrigerator scripture and quote it for the day. Now, that will help you, but there's so much more, and you're missing it. It's kind of like this. You know, you could go into certain parts of the world, and you could find gold on the ground. You could find jewels on the ground in some areas of the world. But you know what? You can read your Bible like that. You're going to get something reading it, but if you want the big jewels and the real gold, you're going to have to dig a little bit. You're going to have to get the excavator out, and you're going to have to get the shovel out, and you're going to have to get a concordance out, and you're going to have to read some and listen something if you really want the good stuff. Isn't that true? You'll get something on the surface level, but if you really want to get something out of the Bible, you've got to dig some. You've got to do some work. And it will always pay off and it'll always be worth it. So most people aren't willing to take the time and effort to make the whole Bible fit together because it does. It all ties together. It all makes sense in light of Jesus. But a lot of times we're not willing to do that. And I tell you, once you start that, it gets addicting in a good way because you want to know more. You want to find out more. All right. That was all free. Hopefully that was an encouragement to read your Bible. So there is. Seven different feasts, two of them we're going to talk about, Passover and Pentecost. Now, Passover is the time, and actually the time that Jesus died. Jesus died during Passover because Passover is pointing to Jesus. It makes sense. Now, let me give you what happened in the Old Testament in Passover. How many know who Moses is? Ever seen the movie Ten Commandments? Or Prince of Egypt? Okay. So a lot of you know who Moses is. Moses was in the Bible. Moses was born to free God's children from slavery. They were in Egypt for over 400 years, enslaved by Pharaoh, in a land that God didn't want them to be in that land. And God sent Moses to be a deliverer of God's people. Now, Moses is a type of Jesus, just like God sent Jesus to be a deliverer for his people and bring them out of slavery and bondage to not Egypt, but to Satan and the world. So what happened is there was 10 different plagues that happened, and God said through Moses, let my people go. Everybody remember that? There's 10 different plagues, and every time he would say, let my people go. And the Pharaoh would say, no, I'm not going to do it. He said, all right, you're going to get frogs today. Let my people go. No, all right, you're going to get mosquitoes in your bed. And it went on and on and on and on, and there was 10 different plagues that happened. And finally, Pharaoh got so fed up with this, as would anybody, that he said, all right, Moses, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let your people go. And before he did that, there was one last one that made him really change his mind. And the last one was the death of the firstborn son. The death of the firstborn son. And Pharaoh's son died in that plague. But there was something that happened during that plague, and just like the other plagues, God's people were protected from those plagues. Because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And they were protected. And they said it would be dark in Egypt. Come on now, somebody. Where, Where are the Pentecostals at? But it would be light where God's people were living. They would have plagues over here, but then they would have peace where God's people were. During that whole period of time when those plagues were happening, they weren't happening to Israel. They were only happening to Egypt. So, I'm getting stirred up. You're going to make me keep digging here. Let's get the shovel out start digging. Digging for some gold. So, the last plague was the firstborn son. And Pharaoh's son died in that plague. But something happened during that plague. They said that an angel of death, now that's not from God. That's from the enemy. Not a good angel, a bad angel. The angel of death would come. Come over this whole area And the firstborn son would be killed But Moses Was instructed by God To kill a lamb To kill that lamb To eat the lamb But to keep the blood And what they were told to do Was this Now how many know Jesus is the lamb of God It all, it all, it all fits together Jesus is the lamb of God And they were told to kill the lamb Eat the lamb, keep the blood and they were supposed to take the blood and put it on their doorpost of the house. For every house in Israel, every house of God's people, they were supposed to take the blood of the lamb and put it on their house. And what the instructions were sounded like this. When the angel of death comes to kill the firstborn son, they won't come to the houses that have the blood on them. And what they used, the word they said, the angel of death will pass over. Now, that's the feast of Passover. But how many know that's pointing to a different Passover, not just that Passover? That Jesus was the lamb. And when we apply the blood of Jesus to our life, the angel of death, the enemy, the world has to pass over. Pass over. And that's the feast of Passover. Come on, are you picking up what I'm laying down so far today? The Feast of Passover. And the Feast of Passover, you could write this down, is salvation. It's salvation. It's pointing to salvation, us receiving what the blood does for us. What happens when we receive what the blood of Jesus does for us? We receive salvation. But there's a secondary feast called Pentecost. Pentecost. And it says in Acts 2 and verse 1, When the day of Pentecost, notice, had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. They were all with one accord and in one place. Now, the reason Pentecost means 50 is this. There's 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. Not spooky. That makes perfect sense. There's 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. That's why it's called Pentecost. It means 50 So 50 days after Passover, they celebrate Passover, they celebrate Pentecost. Now Jesus told his disciples after he left the earth, he told his disciples, I want you to wait for the day of Pentecost to come and I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out because you can't do it by yourself. Because you can't make a difference, you can't heal anybody, you can't save anybody, you can't deliver anybody, you can't have any power in your life apart from the Holy Spirit. So you need to wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit is poured out. And notice he's not poured out on a random day. He's poured out on the day of Pentecost. Now you follow me so far? Okay. Stay with me. So the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after we celebrate Passover is Pentecost. And they celebrate Pentecost in the Old Testament. They celebrated when Moses got the law of God on Mount Sinai from God. They celebrate when he came back with the Ten Commandments. That's what Pentecost is all about. So that's what they celebrate in the Old Testament. When they celebrate Pentecost today, they're celebrating when God gave Moses the law and brought it down. Like in the Ten Commandments, he brought the law down. He smashed it. He was getting ticked. People were acting wild, worshiping a, a calf that was made out of gold. They celebrate even that feast when God gave the law. Let's look over at 2 Corinthians 3. Because you're going to start shouting in a second. I'm not going to be able to control you. 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. And we're going to read here in verse 2. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 2. You guys follow me so far this morning. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 2. It says, you are a, an epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Second Corinthians three. And notice the next verse, three and three. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, by the, or not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. Let's jump down to verse six who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Okay, so Pentecost. Pentecost in the Old Testament, Pentecost in the New Testament. It's all connected. Pentecost in the Old Testament, when Moses brought the law of God down, There was fire and there was wind. In the New Testament Pentecost, when God brought his spirit down, there was fire and there was wind. Now, that's just the first. We're getting going here. Another thing that happened on the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament was this the law of God was written on stone. The law of God was written on stone. But in the new covenant on the day of Pentecost, the law of God was written on our hearts by his spirit. So in the Old Testament day of Pentecost, we received the law, but in the new covenant, we received the giver of the law. So now I don't just do things because I have to do it. I do things because I want to do it because the law givers on the inside of me. So I couldn't, I don't need to see the Ten Commandments the rest of my life. God bless them because the giver of those lives on the inside of me now. And you realize if you get in a situation and you don't even have a Bible next to you or near you and you can't even recall anything, you can still make the right decision because the Holy Spirit, the giver of that lives on the inside of you. So now every decision we, we make, we, yes, we still go to the Word of God to look. But we don't want, have to be frantically looking through here because the giver of that is on the inside of us. So in the old covenant on the day of Pentecost, God put His law on tablets of stone. But in this new covenant, He puts it on your heart. Big difference. He puts it on your heart by His Spirit because the Spirit of God is living in us. Notice what else happened on the day Of Pentecost in the Old Testament on the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament when Moses came down with the law of God in his hand We just mentioned it Everybody was freaking out having a party not a good party um, And they were worshiping a golden calf now, how dumb do you have to be? When you've seen God deliver you out of Egypt Bring you through the Red Sea Take you all the way almost to the promised land And then just because Moses leaves a few days, you decide, oh, you know, let's just make a golden calf and start worshiping it. How does that make sense? Now, you already know the true and living God. Why? I mean, look what boredom does to people. I'm kind of bored. Let's just all gather our gold up and start worshiping it. That sounds good. All right. That's why you need to give your kids something to do this summer. All right. You're welcome, parents. Boredom doesn't produce anything good. So, he came down with the law of God, and they were, I was about to say worshiping, they are not worshiping the right things. They were having a party, but not a right party. So when he came down with the law of God, this is what happened. It says that the earth opened up, it's all in your Bible, the earth opened up, and 3,000 people died that day. The judgment that they received instantly because the law of God. But notice what happens in the New Testament. When the Spirit of God comes down, who's not full of judgment like the law, but is full of mercy and grace, it says that 3,000 people were born again on the first day of the church. It all fits together. I'm just giving you three right now. There's a lot more than this than we could say. Why? Because it's all pointing to something bigger. So the day of Pentecost is not just a, a day. It's not just a denomination. It means so much more. It's so much bigger than people let it on to be. It's significant. It's pointing back to the feast and the old covenant, and it's being fulfilled in the new covenant. And that's why it says in first, or Second Corinthians 3 and verse 6, Notice the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. Because notice when the law of God came down and those people weren't right with God, what happened? Judgment, and they instantly died. But you know what happens in the new covenant? The Spirit of God comes on the inside of us, makes us new, makes us holy, makes us clean, and brings us alive. So 3,000 people got saved and brought to life on the first day of the church. So, the power of Pentecost, you guys are getting something today? Yes. So, all these different feasts point to something in the future. They're significant. So, Passover is for salvation. I would say Pentecost is power to make a difference. Pentecost is power to make a difference. Now, let's look back at Acts 2. I appreciate you guys listening today. Got a couple more things we want to say before we're done. In Acts 2. In verse 1, Acts 2 and verse 1, it says, Notice, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. I love it. It says, notice, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Why? Because they've had Pentecost for thousands of years, celebrating it. But he's saying, no, all those Pentecost feasts and celebrations were pointing to this day. And that's why it says when the day of Pentecost fully came in all its fullness and when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled this day. They were all with one accord and all in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind filled the house as they were sitting and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire that set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm going to talk about A couple more things before we close. Are you okay with that? Still awake? Still alive? Still glad you're here. So, the Holy Spirit, He empowers us to do certain things, and we're going to talk about a couple of those. So we're going to talk about three different things. First of all, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit empowers you to live supernaturally. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live supernaturally. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, and we'll read there in a moment. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live supernaturally. Now, let me tell you what that means. You as believers in Jesus are not supposed to live a normal, natural life. A lot of Christians sell themselves short by leading a normal, natural Average, mediocre life When God has called you to do the complete opposite of that And he gave you the Holy Spirit to empower you To live supernaturally That means beyond the natural That means you're going to stand out That means you're going to be different Because everybody lives in the natural But the Holy Spirit empowers you to live supernaturally Jesus in the gospel said this He said the same works that I do, you will do also. And greater things than this. Greater things than this. And he was talking to his disciples. If you read the book of Acts, read it. The same things that Jesus did, the church were doing in the book of Acts. And greater things. And you see it all through the book of Acts. They were doing these things Uh, That were designed and ordained by God They were healing people They were delivering people They were seeing salvations take place They were walking in the supernatural power of God In the book of Acts But all throughout the whole New Testament But notice what started all those things The day of Pentecost Nobody did anything before then Because they were obeying what Jesus said Jesus said don't go into all the world Because you can't do it Without Him. So I want you to wait in this upstairs upper room for the Holy Spirit. Because until He comes on you, you can't do what I've called you to do. That's how important He is. And He empowers the church to live supernaturally. That's the difference. I'm not talking bad about any other church. I'm not giving you a name. But a lot of churches will say this They will read the New Testament They will read what Jesus did And they'll wonder why they don't have the same results Because they don't put an emphasis on the Holy Spirit in their church They don't believe in Him They're not empowered by Him And they're wondering why they live a powerless Christian life If that's even possible, but they do You'd be shocked, they try Because they'd leave out the Holy Spirit because they're scared of Him. Or more importantly, I would say this, they're so prideful, they won't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening today or or, or looking at me? A lot of you are looking. What's he going to say? But it's pride. If Jesus said you can't do it without Him, you can't do it without Him. That's what he said And a lot of believers are trying to do it without him You know you can go to a lot of churches Today trust me I'm not talking bad about Anybody this is a reality There is no one there that's healed There is no one there that gets Delivered there is no one there that Sees their lives changed they are living the same Life week after Week after week because there's No power there because the Holy Spirit's not there Come on, help me this morning. I heard you preach a pastor. I need that. And I'm not saying we're better than anybody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's wrong because they're living far less than what Jesus has provided. And that's why their life is the same. Year after year after year after year No one gets healed No one gets delivered No one gets changed No one gets off drugs No one gets out of addiction No one changes their life No one does anything different There's no power in their life There's no supernatural Because you forgot the missing ingredient Is the Holy Spirit And until you have a day of Pentecost experience There will be no power in your life All right now, come on now. Now that doesn't mean you're going. That doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. You are, but you're gonna struggle your butt all the way till you get there. It's gonna be rough because you got no power to do what God is calling you to do. That doesn't mean you're not saved. I'm not saying that. You're saved. You're going to heaven. God loves you. You're awesome. You can still do some things for God. I'm not saying you can't but I'm saying you're going to miss it because there's no power. There's no power. We need power in our lives. Holy Spirit empowers you to live supernaturally. You guys are getting me excited. I'm going to need to calm myself down. Oh, wait, I forgot. This is a Pentecostal charismatic church. I don't have to. I don't have to. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4. You guys still here today? All right. Does everyone still love me so far? Okay. All right. Just checking. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4. Now, we're about to read this. Paul wrote this. Paul was one of the most educated people of his time. Paul had more degrees than all of us put together. He, He knew several different languages. Paul was one of the most intelligent people that lived in his day. I mean, he lived 2,000 years ago. How many other people are we talking about who lived 2,000 years ago? Not many. There's billions of people quoting him this morning in churches all over the world. But notice what the Apostle Paul said. Even though he was very educated, he knew a lot. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4 says, In my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's the difference maker. That's the game changer. It is. I just feel like talking free this morning. I said this a few weeks back, but you can tell a preacher Who's not filled with the Holy Spirit They got a good message but there's no power in it You can tell a difference in worship Because there's no power in it You can hear it on the radio all the time They will do the same songs that somebody who's anointed of God do And there's absolutely no power when they sing it on the radio Because there's a missing ingredient Which is the Holy Spirit He's the power to do what we can't do on our own strength. He's the power to change lives. He's the power to when our musicianship and our vocals stop, the supernatural goes way beyond that to bring the power of God there. The only reason that I'm a halfway decent preacher and speaker is the Holy Spirit. That's it. If you looked at my notes, you would laugh at me every Sunday morning. But after 10 years of preaching, yes, I'm not that old, but I've been preaching at least 10 years of my life every week or more. I've understood by now it's not about how good a message I can write. It's not about how many books I can study and I do that. It's about the Holy Spirit showing up because if he doesn't show up, it's going to be a bad service. You're not going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy. It's going to be a bad experience for both of us if he's not here. How many churches are people doing that? Congregation's not enjoying it. You know the preacher's not enjoying it, reading it, and it's so dry and dead in those buildings. Am I saying too much on a Sunday morning? I just got to talk freely today. Come on. That's right helping me so number one the Holy Spirit I gotta move quicker the Holy Spirit empowers you to live supernaturally never forget that whatever you're facing the Holy Spirit empowers you to live supernaturally number two the Holy Spirit empowers you to be bold the Holy Spirit empowers you to be bold Acts 4 We're going to read there in a moment in Acts 4. The Holy Spirit empowers you to be bold. You know, to give you a little um, context of what I'm saying, the Holy Spirit empowers you to be bold. Realize when the disciples were up in the upper room, 120 of them, they said they were waiting on the Holy Spirit, but they were scared. And you know why they were scared? For good reason. They just killed Jesus on a cross. And so they knew the Roman government is about to kill everybody else who's like Jesus, who believes in Jesus, who's one of his disciples. The Roman government is after anybody who is a follower of Jesus. So yes, they were waiting on the Holy Spirit, but they were also hiding out in the upper room. And they were there 50 days with each other. Could our church stand 50 days with each other? What if I locked the doors and we just had to wing it for the next 50 days? Somebody calls for some pizza to be delivered and let's see if we can do this for 50 days. 50 days in an upper room, 120 people waiting on the Holy Spirit from Passover to Pentecost. They were scared. But notice what happened. As soon as the Holy Spirit got poured out, they unlocked the door and they went out. They didn't do that 50 days before. They were scared for their lives. But as soon as the Holy Spirit came on them, they received boldness to be a witness. And they unlocked the door, they went out, and they started telling everybody about Jesus. They weren't trying to hide it. They told everybody about Jesus knowing that they could get killed. They could get crucified, they could get stoned, they could get hurt for saying that, but they didn't care anymore because the Holy Spirit gave them boldness. Holy Spirit gave them boldness. And it's amazing, 120 people, the guy who stood up to preach the first message on the first day of the church was the same Peter who denied Jesus to a middle school girl. No offense, middle school girls, I always got to say that, no offense. But this grown man was so afraid of saying he was a follower of Jesus, he denied it to a middle school girl before the Holy Spirit came on him. You guys know that he denied him three times? That same Peter, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, boldness came on him, and he stood up in front of thousands and thousands of people and proclaimed the good news of the gospel. And he didn't water it down. He said what he needed to say to the Romans, to the Jewish people, and anybody who wanted to hear him. And when he did it with boldness, 3,000 people got saved on the first day of the church. What happened to Peter? Difference maker, game changer. It turned him into a different man, the Holy Spirit. Because he was afraid just 50 days before, denying, denying that he knew Jesus to a little girl, denying he knew Jesus at all. But something happened the day of Pentecost. The power of the Holy Spirit put some boldness on. him. Acts 4, and this is Peter and John, They were arrested because they got a guy healed Acts 4 and verse 13 It says now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John And perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men They marveled And they realized they had been with Jesus Notice these people that were putting them in prison Saw their boldness Saw their boldness. You know, in the book of Acts, it says that these early disciples turned the world upside down. Now, how did they do that? Because they were bold. And you know what? They were so bold they were intimidating the Roman government. And the and Roman government was the most powerful thing on the in the world at that point in time. Rome was. Rome was in charge of the known world. And they were starting to intimidate Rome because of their boldness. Because they realized these Christians will not shut up. These Christians will not stop talking about Jesus. These Christians will not stop praying for people. They They won't stop believing for things. They won't just go away and be quiet. Does that sound like the day and age we live in? Doesn't it? Keep your Christians out of politics Keep your Jesus out of music Keep your Jesus out of movies Keep your Jesus out of work Keep your Jesus Just, just keep it private Because it doesn't make anybody Uncomfortable that way Keep it private Don't tell anybody about it The truth is Your faith can be personal, but it can never be private if it's true faith. You're going to have to go public with it if it's real. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. you got to go public with it. And notice when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he gives you boldness to stand up for the things you should stand up for. He gives you boldness to be a witness. He gives you boldness to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He gives you boldness to do what you're called to do that you couldn't do before. And He will change you into a different person. You can go from being timid and weak and fearful and you don't want to speak up to like the scripture says in Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but what has the spirit given you? Power and love in a sound mind. Come on, are you receiving this this morning? The Holy Spirit will empower you to be bold. Now notice, I didn't say arrogant. I didn't say mean. Because that's what, you either have two extremes. You have Christians that say nothing. And then you have the arrogant, cocky, mean Christians who say everything. God doesn't want you to be in either category. Because they're both not helping anybody. But he does want you to be bold. Walk in power but walk in love and not be afraid to talk about Jesus at work. Not be afraid to talk about Jesus at your school. Not be afraid to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Not be afraid of what people will think about you. But be bold because of the Holy Spirit. It says in the Bible that the righteous are as bold as a lion. But notice we can't do that in our own strength and our own power. We need the Holy Spirit to make us bold. Now, I mentioned this before, but it's funny to me because you guys think I'm super bold. You guys think I'm just loud like this all the time. I'm not. I can be if I need to be. But a lot of times in public settings, I get nervous. I don't know what to say. One-on-one with people I don't know, and I feel like God's saying, pray for that person. Um, Maybe tomorrow I'll pray for that person feel like God's saying, go pray for that person. What happens? Fear. But the Holy Spirit will give you boldness to be a witness even when you get afraid. When He tells you to speak up and say something to somebody because you have the answer on the inside of you. You have answers that other people need if you just open up your mouth. Stop acting like you're, you don't know the answer just like everybody else. No, you do. Speak up and say something. Not in a mean way, but in a loving way. I've jokingly said about this at Coffee Crossing. Like, hey, aren't you the, you come through here a lot. Aren't you the pastor at Church on the Rock now? No, it's probably a guy that looks just like me, though. I mean, I will take the pastor's discount, but probably not me. I think that was somebody else. But we can all be like that. We can all be like Peter. Back away from what we should say or what we should do. But notice when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he gives you power to be bold. Lastly, he empowers you to fulfill the mission of God. (coughs) I appreciate you guys listening to me today. Acts 1 in verse 8. This will be the last thing we talk about here. Acts 1 in verse 8. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He empowers you to fulfill the mission of God. You know, all of you in here, the call of God on your life fits in with the mission of God. He's not going to call you to something that's opposite from his big plan. Now, Let me just simplify it. What is God's plan and mission? Well, Jesus said it when he went to ascend to his father. He said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things I've taught you. And he said, I'm with you to the ends of the earth. How is he with us? By the Holy Spirit. That's the mission of God. God has one mission. One big plan, and it's that everybody on the planet would receive salvation. Everyone on the planet would know Him. Everyone on the planet would come back to God, come back to their Father, come home. That's God's plan and God's mission. And it's for everybody. Now, there's about 2 billion believers on the planet. There's about 7 billion people on the planet. So that means there's 5 billion people at least that don't know God. They're not in a relationship with Him. I would say we got some work to do. Everybody's like, "Well, we want Jesus to come back. There's a lot of people that need to know Him before then. There's a lot of people that need to hear the good news of the gospel. There's a lot of people that need to be saved and healed and delivered and to experience God. A lot of people, billions. And the Holy Spirit empowers us as his church to fulfill the mission of God. That's why he says, I will give you power when I come upon you and you shall be a witness, notice to me, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Why? Because his his plan is the whole entire world being safe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But he gives you some practical information. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He's saying, let's stop talking about, I'm going to go save people in Africa, in Europe, in Asia. He said, what about New Albany? The early disciples, where did they start? Jerusalem, where they lived. And he said, when you get Jerusalem down, go to Judea, make it bigger. Then go to Samaria, make it bigger. And then go to the ends of the earth. But you've got to start in Jerusalem first. God has called us to fulfill the mission and the plan of God, but we can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. And where does he tell us to start? In New Albany. In Floyd Knobs. In Sellersburg. In Charlestown. In Borden, in Jeffersonville, because Lord knows that <laughs> Jeffersonville needs it. It's a little inside joke. And then go to the Louisville metro area, and to Kentucky, and to Indiana, and to Ohio, and the United States, and then North America, and South America. And but you got to start in New Albany first. You know what we all do? We have big plans and big thoughts about let's go do mission work somewhere else. You've even heard it from dad say before, everybody makes it so glamorous let's go to other countries and do mission work, let's see people saved New Albany is mission work your school is your mission work, your job is your mission field, you don't need to get on a plane, God says start right here in your neighborhood, in your hometown, in this region. That's where God says, if we're going to fulfill the mission of God, we got to start right here, right now. And you know, the truth is, if every group of believers does that wherever they live, the whole world will be saved. God's not asking you to take Africa or Europe tomorrow. He's asking you to take your street. He's asking you to talk to somebody at the water cooler. He's asking you to change your school. He's not asking you to go to another country. We glamorize that too much. And God says, I want you to go into all the world and be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the world. But the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do it. And notice he said, power to be a witness. Power to be a witness. That's the number one thing. A lot of times spirit-filled people will only talk about certain things. But the number one thing he gave you power to be was a witness. He gave you gifts, the gifts of the spirit. He gave you a personal prayer language. That's one part. But the number one thing he gave all of us in here is power to be a witness. Now this is something that Myself, mom had mentioned this the other day Talking about our camp theme this year Which is evidence He said You're, you have power to be a witness Power to be a witness Meaning you have witnessed The power of God in your own life You've seen him change your life So now you can go tell others What you've experienced The most powerful thing that you can say is your own story. The most powerful thing that you can give is your own testimony. Because they can't argue with your experience. And that's what God has said. He's given you power to be a witness or share what you have witnessed God do in your life. That is going to be the most life-changing thing you can ever share with somebody else. More than a scripture, more than a five-step step plan to heaven, whether than arguing about the existence of God and dimensions and talking about apologetics and getting so heady with them, it never goes anywhere, they can't argue with an experience. Something that you've witnessed. So he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be a witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you guys get something today? I appreciate you guys coming. I feel like I preached out everything I could preach out today. Hopefully, you got something today. So, notice the Holy Spirit empowers you to live supernaturally, to be bold, and to fulfill the mission of God.